0: Welcome to Talks at Advent, homilies and reflections given at the Church of the Advent, a Western Rite Orthodox mission in Atlanta, Georgia. Today's speaker is Dr. Beau Bruce. I imagine most of you have heard this famous parable before, and I can vouch for most of you who have been here a while, because almost all of you at least come to church consistently on Easter, and and most of the rest of the time, too, praise be to God. And this passage forms the basis of St. John Chrysostom's sublime Paschal homily that's read in Orthodox churches, including this one, every year during the Easter Vigil. Now, St. John was a brilliant man, but I don't think that his choice of parable upon which to base his Easter sermon was something completely created out of the blue. Instead, at the time of St. John, as far as I can tell, I've had a little trouble proving this point, so don't hold me to it. I think the Prelentan lectionary followed the pattern of our lectionary rather than the newer Byzantine lectionary most Orthodox churches use today. So my conjecture is that St. John would have been preaching this parable on this day, Septuagesima, over a millennium ago. First, you may be asking, what, what did you just say? Septuagesima. Today is Septuagesima Sunday, which means 70 days. In this case, 70 days before Easter. Now, for those of you who are counting, it is only nine weeks before Easter, and seven times nine is only 63, so... How exactly is it 70 days before Easter? Well, this is, this is how they reckon this sort of time. It is the seventh decade before Easter of days. Seventh decade of days before Easter. So it's a little funky, but that's the way they do it. So that's what they call it this week, and next week will be Sexagesima for 60 days, and then Quinquagesima for 50 days before Easter. And then Lent will begin. So we're in a three-week pre-Lenten season. And what this is for us, we, we've started to focus our attention, but not to start our upcoming fast. You may have noticed that the Gloria is no longer in the Mass today. We didn't say Alleluia when the Gospel came up. The Alleluia's have been also removed from the office, the prayers and the Mass, the color changes to purple, the music has changed. Everything's sort of like Lent, except we won't be fasting for a couple of weeks. And so St. John masterfully took the passage that started presumably there in our preparations for the Lenten season, and then used it again to usher in Pascha when the fast was over, what we're looking forward to. One reason I suspect this is the case is we have one of St. John's sermons on this passage, and as far as I can tell, this passage is not read on Sundays in the Byzantine lectionary. Interestingly, however, in the Eastern Church, this is the pre lenten Sunday when the parable of the prodigal son is read. If you think about the passage we just read, you ought to see some parallels between the prodigal son and the workers in this vineyard. I'll get to that in a moment. (coughs) Regardless of whether I have the history right or wrong, for us today as Western Rite Orthodox Christians, this passage is the bookends of our Lenten season. So how should that interaction help us to understand this passage and to understand the season that we are approaching? Well, remarkably, there's another ancient lectionary connection that further brings out the richness of this passage and its connection to the season. It turns out that during this period of the year, The Sunday Mass Mass readings of the season of Septuagint and Lent are tied deeply to an Old Testament sequence of Scripture that recounts the entire history of human salvation, from Adam to Noah to Abraham to Moses and so forth. Ultimately, in our Feast of Feasts, Pascha, Easter, we will hear that evening the entire story read from the Bible, from creation to Christ, in our beautiful and powerful Easter Vigil. And the church is trying to prepare us to be able to absorb that incredible impact by showing us the depth and the the meaning of the events in that salvific history so that the readings on Easter can rouse remembrances of our place in that history. And it would be very easy, as we've talked about before, to miss this Old Testament sequence because it's almost entirely going on in a service called matins, a service in the divine daily prayers, the divine office, consisting of a substantial chunk of psalms, antiphons, and readings that's traditionally performed in the middle of the night. I like to say you would think the monks would do it quickly so they could get back to bed, but this happens to be the longest, the lengthiest part of the entire daily office. And if anybody's ever tried it, Uh, And for those of us who have, it's really hard to fit into the entire service into the cycle of daily life in our modern world. However, the readings themselves are quite manageable, and they provide a nice daily lectionary. If you're interested in getting the Matins book, I can tell you how to get one. Um, And they're a good source of selections from the Bible that are tied to our lectionary, including some brief patristic commentary on those passages and some excellent brief hagiographies of the saints of the day. So it's a pretty good investment. It's not a very expensive book. Anyway, the church, inspired by the Holy Spirit, has crafted the linkage between those Old Testament texts and our Sunday lectionary to bring us deeper into the divine mysteries of Christ. As Orthodox Christians, we do not just see the Old Testament as history, It's not just a source of some key prophecies of Christ. It's not just a good source of beautiful poetry or Proverbs. No, we see all of those things, and we also add upon it that every word of the Old Testament is a foreshadowing of Christ. One can only believe that this is the experience that Paul had. When after Ananias restored his sight and then Paul went, as you read, He spent years studying again the Old Testament scriptures. Now, don't forget, Paul was already an extremely knowledgeable law scholar. Uh, He had studied under the best minds of Jewish law at the time, and he still needed to go back and read and restudy and look at the Old Testament scriptures for years before he finally went to Jerusalem and started his ministry. Paul's eyes were opened in more than a literal way along that road to Damascus. It opened his eyes to see what so many of his fellow Pharisees could not. The Old Testament said that Jesus was indeed the Messiah. Now, you can also hopefully feel that you're on the road to Emmaus with Christ, and that beginning with Moses and all the prophets, Christ himself is explaining to you what was said in all the scriptures concerning himself. So as we prepare for Lent, the readings are specifically chosen to help us open our eyes to see Jesus as the Christ and to help us see his place and our place in the history of salvation that began with the creation of the world. Yet this connection would be easy to miss these days for the reasons I've mentioned already, but we do get a little hint that something is going on, even in our, in our yellow book over there. If you happen to turn and look at the, uh, the the Magnificat Antiphon for last night's Vespers, you hear one, the passage that's normally tied to the gospel for the next day. Instead, it's tied to an Old Testament passage. And that Antiphon this week was, the Lord God had planted a garden eastward in Eden, and there he put the man whom he had formed. Here, from that one little phrase, even if we didn't have the rest of Matins, we should be thinking of Adam and Eve in the garden. And indeed, that's the connection that's strong in the longer readings of the Matins service. In today's passage, we see two types of beginnings in stark contrast. The one that through the disobedience of Adam and Eve broke, quite literally, the entire universe. It made the universe something it wasn't supposed to be, something that we all must work to restore. And that brokenness, that the culmination of Jesus' salvific work, brings it all back to right. As people, we often think of the story of salvation as somehow about us. And it is about us, including me and you. But it's really also about all of creation. Everything in creation was broken by our disobedience. Isaiah in his prophecies tells us of the rejoicing of the wilderness, the hills singing, the trees clapping their hands, and the joy of the coming of the Lord. All of creation rejoices at the salvation that Christ has brought and which we will remember in that orthodox sense of making present again at Easter on Pascha. Christ brings salvation not just to man, but to all of creation. Christ brings new life, not just to mankind, out of an existence of death and decay, but all creation. And connecting our story today to the Old Testament, we see Christ as a new Adam. That's the other beginning we see, the man who did what we were supposed to do in the garden. There's another stark contrast in this passage. If you've ever heard St. John's Paschal sermon, I won't read it now, come back at Easter. He preaches this sermon on this passage, and it focuses on the hope that's in this passage. And there's a lot of hope in this passage. The hope is that all of us are called and that whatever our fair labors are, they will be rewarded by our generous and good God. But in this parable, there's also one of Stephen's uncomfortable binaries. All would be well and good if we left off the last two sentences and acted like they weren't there. I don't know if you remember them, but Jesus says... Something that seems to be the opposite right at the end. The first shall be last and the last shall be first. And he also says many are called, but few are chosen. Now, I want to make something clear that sometimes gets twisted when this gets translated. When Jesus says many are called, that means it's a it's a Hebrewism and it means everyone is called. Let's be clear about that. Everyone is called, but few are chosen. Indeed, in John Chrysostom's other extant sermon on this passage, he draws attention to this contrast and discusses it. When Jesus is talking about the vineyard, St. John tells us that the laboring in the vineyard is about our present life. The laborers are those of us who are called at different times in our life to be called by God and into a life in his commandments. And basically, Jesus is talking about those who at different ages have been drawn near to God. Some people as an early child, some on their deathbed, and everywhere in between. But here is where the contrast enters. How is it that those who were called from the beginning have let envy and jealousy enter into their hearts? Here, as I told you we were going to talk about, is the parallel to the prodigal son and his brother that our Eastern right brothers and sisters, they're our colleagues, are discussing today in their churches. His brother, the prodigal son's brother, has always been there. He's been working hard the whole time. And what happens? Dad kills the fatted calf, throws a big party, and the other brother won't even come inside to party with him. He's he's upset, he's envious, he's jealous. And don't forget that a simple act of disobedience, even one of envy or jealousy, you know, can bring about a big fall. It can, a little taste of some fruit brought about the entire fall of creation. So let's not forget the warning of Christ in today's passage that even if we've had it all, envy and jealousy may enter into our lives. God loves everyone, whether we like it or not. He loves sinners. We better like it because after all, we all are sinners. But in that mercy, in our thinking that somehow we are the ones that are doing something for God, we can put ourselves right back into sin. And therein lies the danger. So this parable has two points as we stand here on the precipice beginning our Lenten season. One, for those of us who are just starting out, maybe you've never experienced Lent before, work as hard as you can. And don't worry that you've started this journey late in your life. Your reward will still be great. Run the race to win, as Paul exhorts us in his epistle. Maybe you've done Lent a few times before, and you know you still have a lot of hard work to do it right. Don't worry. Start again. Regardless of who you are and what you're going to do, what I want to tell you is that you have to commit yourself to faithful obedience to what the church asks of you. This is what Lent is about. This is how Adam and Eve fell. And this is how those in this story, through envy and jealousy, fall. They're failing to be faithfully obedient to God's plan which doesn't always make sense to us. Some people like to choose what they're going to give up for Lent. I'm, I'm okay with you doing that as long as you're going to do what the church has asked of you. But choosing what you're going to do is exactly the opposite of the point of Lent, which is about faithful obedience to someone other than yourself. I mean, I've often joked I plan to give up self-control for Lent, and I can assure you that will not work very well. We have to make a decision to be faithful to what the church has taught us is good for us. Then maybe, under the guidance of someone you trust, hopefully a spiritual father, you can make a good decision to add something upon that, if you're ready, if you're able to already do what the church has asked you, Maybe that would be appropriate, but that's something to discuss. So we need to have faithful obedience in contrast to Adam and Eve. And this also connects with when we are called. Paul says God called him when it pleased him who separated me from my mother's womb. When did it please God to separate? When did it please God to call Paul? It wasn't when he was born. It was on that road to Damascus when Paul was finally ready to obey. That's when it pleased God to call him. Of course, God willed it from the very beginning, but Paul wouldn't have yielded. He was stubborn. God waited until it was, he was finally ready to obey. It was the same when Christ called the thief on the cross. He could have called the thief prior to his deathbed, but the thief wouldn't have obeyed. For Paul, if, at the, if for Paul, it didn't happen at the beginning and Paul wouldn't have obeyed, how much more the thief? So are you ready to obey? Regardless, Lent is a good time to start learning how to hear God calling you to that obeyance. The second point is for the few of you who are out there who think you have it all figured out. Maybe fasting seems easy to you, but Be careful. Pride can take hold of you. You can start to get upset when you see someone, even worse, a fellow Orthodox Christian chomping on a piece of bacon at brunch. But don't let the devil take hold of you. Focus, as they say, on your own plate. Maybe your brother or sister has a health problem. Maybe not. But this isn't a journey about them. It's a journey about you. And it will do you no good by thinking you're entitled to something more or better by what you accomplish during the Lenten season. You're not. I'm in fact worried to tell you to focus on yourself during Lent because maybe some of you are fasting for yourself rather than as a faithful obedience to God. Maybe you like a challenge. Maybe you want to prove to yourself that you can do it. And those are not the right reasons to do it. The only reason to do it is to be faithful and obedient To our Master, our Lord, and Savior Jesus Christ, full stop, which includes His church, His body. So, whatever your station, wherever you were or will be called by the Lord, focus on faithful obedience to God as we start our Lenten season. That will bring you closer to Him because you'll be doing His will. And when you do God's will, you are the very body of Christ. The very hands and feet of Jesus, you will be on a road that will bring yourself closer to your Lord, whether it's the road to Damascus, whether it's the road to Emmaus, or whether it's Bolton Road out there. There's work to be done in all our hearts, whether like me, you need to labor all day or just a few hours to work through those challenges. They are there. And we need to set our hand to tending to the vines, lest the wheat be taken over by the vine by the weeds we talked about last week we're all called to be a new adam a new eve not just christ we're called to be christ and therefore we're called to be new adams and new eves we're called not just to hearing the word of god as adam did as he walked in the garden but doing what god asked through faithful obedience So in this pre-Lenten season, begin to prepare your hearts to joyfully receive our Lord's commandments and follow them, whether it's the first time or the hundredth time you've done so. In the name of the Father, and of the Son, and of the Holy Spirit, God is one. Amen. Talks at Advent. Homilies and Reflections given at the Church of the Advent, a Western Rite Orthodox Mission in Atlanta, Georgia.